Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, guest speaker, Dr. Richard Ross, shares a message called Welcoming King Jesus in Your Home. Now, an important message from Dr. Richard Ross. Well, I hope, um, I hope I'm dressed okay for worship this morning. I, I did ask Pastor Tom, how should I dress? You know, adults, adults will kind of accept you most anyway, but the funny thing is, at my advanced age, I'm still being called on to speak to teenagers, and this whole issue of dress is a little bit interesting to me. I'm starting to get self-conscious, to be perfectly honest. You know, lots of times I'm following some hip and cool band, you know, or worship team. And I'm always looking at it from a teenager's point of view. They're in the mosh pit. They're singing with the worship band. And then I walk on platform. I mean, how exciting can this be? I, I spoke at a citywide Disciple Now weekend. Some of y'all know about those. And to be perfectly honest, my worry got the best of me. I went to Hewland Mall near my house in South Fort Worth, and I bought my first pair of skinny jeans. I thought, okay. <laughs> If I can walk on platform, at least in skinny jeans, maybe I won't look quite so ridiculous. Well, that afternoon I was trying to get dressed for the first service. Things did not go well. Have you ever tried to pull skinny jeans over adult diapers? You ever tried to do that? It was an absolute disaster. And of course, this is going out live. I'm so embarrassed. The good news is, at least the teenagers knew that night the service will be brief. <laughs> they knew the thing couldn't go on and on, but I did have to wear my dockers, but somehow God showed up and we had a great service anyway. Do you know why I'm here this year? Do you know why uh, Pastor Tom invited me this year and not next year? It's all about money. I'm standing up here this morning, no extra expense. I come next year. Oxygen bottles, walkers, all this stuff that you have to do extra. So we thought the guy's vertical this year. Let's let him go ahead and come and speak. Who knows, maybe we're going to have a good time in the service this morning. Uh, we did have a great time uh, at breakfast. I got to know some of you. This is a friendly church. That's my assumption, warm people. In fact, so much so that I think if I ask you guys to be a part of a little demonstration in the sermon, I think this kind of church would probably go along with it. What, what if I did this? What if I ask everybody to stand up? Now, I'm not going to because you've already been standing so much. Uh, but what if I ask all of you to stand up? And strangely, what if I said, to prepare for the sermon, I want all of you to come and pack the front. I, I think if you thought there was a good reason for it, you'd get up and come down here. Since I'm allowing you to use your imagination, though, this is what I want you to do. Imagine that you were making your way to the front, but you were trying to follow the instructions, you know, of the speaker. What if you were trying to put yourself in the right spot if this is what I had said to kick it off? What if I had said, let's have one group form up right here, and if you come and stand in this group, you will be saying, I am on my way toward God. I am trying to figure this thing out. I am no atheist. Somebody is out there. Got up this morning, got dressed, thought I would come to a church looking for answers. I am on my way toward God. Now, if we actually did the demonstration and we actually had a group standing here, I think I know Hillcrest well enough to know 
everybody would be really happy. In fact, if you're nearby, you might go hug a neck and say, brother, sister, I'm so proud of you. I love your honesty, your authentic questions. Hope you find your way toward God. But if we did do the demonstration, a lot of you would say, so happy those folk are here, but that's not actually where I should stand. I probably ought to be standing more in this group right here in front of the pulpit. And by standing here, I would be saying, there was a time in my life I was on my way toward God. Finally, somebody explained to me, know about him. You can actually have a relationship with him through Christ's death on the cross. I received that wonderful gift into my life. So no, I don't know about God. I actually know him, but I'm standing here and not some other places because even though I know Jesus, these days, really the most important person in my life is me. Now, by that I mean, you know, Monday through Saturday, just during the week, I'm pretty well wrapped up. You know, my crazy kids, my health concerns, my finances, you know, just the normal things that make up life. I would probably have to say that's on my mind most of the time, but I do tell Jesus my troubles. In fact, I don't even know how these poor people get by. If you can't tell Jesus your troubles, my oh my. So I tell him my troubles, but even when I do that, probably I'm mostly preoccupied with me. Now, the people that ought to stand here, I'm not 100% sure they would come because the same people that ought to stand here also tend to be humble. Maybe their friend would have to bring them over here. But regardless, if we had a group, they would be saying, there was a time in my life I was on my way toward God. Somebody finally explained I could know him through Jesus' death on the cross. And... I cannot take credit for a single thing that has happened in my life. It is only by the work and power of God, but by His grace only, I would say this morning, the preoccupation with my life is Jesus. Now, now by that I mean, I have the same problems, I have the same struggles as everybody else. Oh my, oh my, I could tell you some of my troubles. But you know, even in the midst of that, what I'm always trying to figure out is, Oh, I wonder how Jesus is going to reveal himself through this period of testing. Oh, I wonder how he's going to bring his kingdom more on the earth through this trial. Same thing for my family. I mean, we might be sitting on the couch at home and we're saying to each other, Oh man, this is tough. This is hard. I wonder what Jesus is up to now. I wonder how he will be glorified while we're going through this harder thing. So really, even for my family... The preoccupation of our lives is Jesus. Lost, convert, and to use Jesus' favorite name for these people, disciple. Lost, convert, disciple. Now you and I both know there is so-called research out there. It's silly, you wouldn't pay any attention to it. But there is some rock-solid research and that rock-solid research says, if I grow up, you know, 18 years in a home, and my mom and dad are spiritually lost, they, they might be good people, might even have a good work ethic, but if my parents are spiritually lost, the research says there's a high probability that I will grow up and spend my entire adult life also lost. Now, you and I both know there's exceptions. In fact, several of you this morning would almost have to be that exception. You would say, I grew up in a house, nobody of faith lived in that house, but as an adult, miraculously I was saved. Yes, those people exist, 
but there's not very many of them. The good research says, if I grow up 18 years and my mom and dad are disciples, not perfect, of course, but generally speaking, if my mom and dad live their lives around Jesus, he's actually a topic of conversation in our house. I watch my dad, I watch my mom making decisions, choosing priorities based on Jesus. If I watch that for 18 years, the statistical probability is I will become a young adult leaving that home and I will live as a disciple of Jesus. Now, now what does that mean? Well, let me give you an example. We've just been through spring break. Everybody knows what happens on spring break. But let's just say a freshman, a college freshman boy out of this home, now at campus, and, and it's February, so spring break is approaching, and that college student walking through a campus building sees a big poster. Spring break trip, come with us. We're gonna rebuild an orphanage in Haiti in only five days. And that college student looking at that poster says, well, heck, that's what I'm going to do for spring break. That looks about twice as fun to me as being drunk on a beach. Okay, he's only 19, but he's already starting to think like a disciple of Jesus. Lost parents, on average, create lost young adults. Disciple parents, with a few exceptions, mostly create young adults who live as disciples of Jesus. Convert parents have kids who grow up to live their lives as if they're lost. Now, I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm really talking about lifestyle. Watch, watch. Growing up, growing up. If we come down to church on Sunday, we fit in on Sunday mornings. We do just fine. We know the words to say. You know, we fit in fine. But Sunday noon forward... I can really tell that's not what's driving our family. It seems like all the conversation in our house is travel ball and ACT and scholarships and roses on the 50-yard line. It just seems like there's a lot of other things that seem to be a lot bigger deal. The dissonance, the disconnect between that Sunday morning profession and what I can tell is really most important in our home, the dissonance between those two things, you know, it kind of fries my wiring so much so that when I go to the big bad university, I don't have enough faith to hold me. Any campus minister will tell you, when those freshmen walk on campus, really in only two or three weeks, those students are already starting to behave like the law students. Maybe the most important sentence I will say in this sermon is the next sentence. The future of your children hinges primarily on the spiritual condition of your heart. The future of your children hinges primarily on the spiritual condition of your heart. Now, a parent might protest and say, oh, Brother Richard, you don't understand. You must not know about Hillcrest. We have wonderful children's ministry here. We have wonderful youth. Well, you do have wonderful ministry here. That does matter. I will talk about that later in the sermon. But mom and dad, listen to me. What you cannot possibly do is assume the good programs of a church will be enough 
to shape a young heart so that a young adult walks in faith the rest of his or her life. Mom and dad always have been and will continue to be the most important spiritual influence in any child for good or ill. What I'm trying to say to you is where you stand has everything to do with what's going to happen to your kids when they're 25 or 30 or 40. Now, I preach this sermon every once in a while. And here recently, I have preached this sermon in two different states, completely disconnected. And I had almost exactly the same experience. In two different churches, after the message, I made my way down the hallway to go to the next activity. And in two different churches, a man found me, I would say men about 55 maybe. And in both places, both men stood too close to me. And in both cases, they thumped my chest. I'm serious. In both cases, they were giving me this. And what they said was, Mr. Ross, you better keep preaching that sermon because you're telling the truth. And both men told me very similar stories. In essence, both men were saying, my adult sons will not give me the time of day. And my sons have said, if you want to see your grandkids at all, you have to swear to me that you'll not be talking about religion to your grandkids. Those are your choices. And so those men were saying to me, Okay, Mr. Ross, there's my choice. Either I never see my grandkids again, or I have no conversation with them about their faith, and my grandchildren may not even go to heaven. I'm telling you a true principle. God bless what the church can add, but really how these kids are going to go in the future hinges mostly on mom and dad and, and our hearts. In fact, this issue of the heart has been very interesting to me lately. I'm sure some people would say I wasted my time. But back at the seminary, I did an exhaustive study of the heart from Genesis to Revelation. I would love right now to give you every passage I discovered. But if I did, the Methodists would beat us to the restaurant. Nobody wants that this morning. So instead of giving you all of them, all of them, how about some high spots? Actually, you know every one of these scriptures. Listen, Jeremiah 17.10. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. Jeremiah 24, 7. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. Matthew 15, 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. Luke 6, 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. It's the heart that is the issue. Now, if we had literally done the demonstration, we all packed here at the front, and you had found yourself in this group right here, then I need to gently say to you, there is nothing going on in this message that is more important for you than you meeting Jesus as your Savior this morning. And for the rest of our time, you ought to be asking, God, is it possible that I could know you as I come to give my heart and life to Jesus Christ? For you, that is your preoccupation in this message. But for the vast majority of you this morning, you're not considering the possibility, am I spiritually lost? I think a whole bunch of you are curious 
Am I a convert or am I a disciple? It's an interesting question. Sometimes I'll come off the platform after this sermon and a senior adult will take my hand and say, Brother Richard, some people would say I'm an anchor of the church. And yet this morning is the first time I've ever really considered the question, am I a convert or am I a disciple? Now we have plenty of meters today, but we don't have a meter we can poke you with that says convert or disciple. We don't have that. Since we don't have a meter, how about I just pitch out a question or two and let you decide. I'm not going to judge you. You decide where do I stand? Here's one question. Go deep inside yourself and figure this out. What is your highest goal in rearing your children? What matters to you in rearing your kids more than anything else? Deep in your heart would you say, what matters to me more than anything is that my kids succeed in whatever they take on in life. I want to see my kids Pursue a vocation, whatever they get in, I want to see my kids successful. I want to see them able to support themselves. I want them to have a comfortable life. I want my kids to succeed. Or would you say, no, 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 that's not it. What I really want for my children, I want them to be reasonably happy with their lives. We have enough depressed and suicidal people out there. I don't want my kids to be part of that. I want my kids to be reasonably happy with their adult life. Or, or, or would you say, those are both wrong. I want my kids to be morally upright. There are crazy people in the world today. I want my kids to be different. I want for them to stand for what is right. And that, that matters to me more than anything. Well, if either of those three things would be your top goal, what you need to know is that when we do research with genuine committed atheists, they give one of those three answers as their top goals in parenting. They will either say, I want my kids to be successful, or they will say, I want my kids to be reasonably happy, or they will say, I want my kids to be morally upright and responsible. For children of God to say, that's number one for me, probably means you're standing here. But I just wonder, would anybody say, Ross, if I know my heart of hearts, nothing matters more to me than to see my children become 25 or 30 and they get up every morning of their lives and what is central in their thoughts is, I want to live my life today to bring great glory to God. I want to be busy today in my classroom, at the shop, wherever I am. I want to live my life today to bring Christ's kingdom here on the earth. If you would say, I care more about that than anything, you're probably standing here. I want to say something about this middle group. Did you know this was never, ever part of the plan of Jesus at all? You say, Mr. Seminary Professor, you might have to prove that to me. Okay, I will. I think we could put Jesus over here, right? So let's put Jesus over here with the disciples. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who's he always preaching to? I'm talking about when he's preaching to a crowd. He always preaches to a lost crowd by saying two things. He says, repent, and then he always says, follow me. Or he says, be my disciple. That's what he always says. He says, lost people, come over here and actively follow me as my disciple. This was never part of the plan at all. 
In fact, the only time Jesus speaks specifically about this group, book of Revelation, you know what he said. He said, this makes me sick at my stomach. That's what he said. And yet on this March morning, I must say to you, this is the majority of the American church today. And it never was even part of the plan of Christ. I'm talking with you about something that would make an interesting adult sermon. It would be just an interesting adult sermon to talk about our Christian lives. Do, do we adore Christ above all things? That would be interesting. But really, Tom's invitation to me to come here today is different from that. Really, what I'm trying to help you focus on is the next generation. Because what's going on with us spiritually has everything to do with what's going to happen to them in the days to come. To that end, I want to give you three brief challenges and we're done. My first challenge to all of you is this. You be awakened to more of who Christ really is today. This is exactly what the young people were studying in their recent study. The whole point is nothing good is going to happen in our hearts just because we magically hope that something will change in our hearts. What changes is our way of seeing Jesus. For me to say, maybe you need to wake up, maybe you need an awakening to more of who Christ is today, that of course begs the question, well then who is he today? On March the 26th, is Jesus walking around in the Middle East in a robe? No. Is Jesus on March the 26th sitting on the edge of a well with giggling children in his lap? No, he did those things. That's not what he's doing this morning. What is he doing this morning? Where is he sitting this morning? The Bible is clear. To show you what he's doing this morning, I have to take you to that powerful moment in the New Testament. We're coming up on Easter. You just start with Easter Sunday and then you count forward 40 days. 40 days after the empty tomb, Jesus now is on the Mount of Olives. He's been teaching for 40 days after the resurrection. He bids farewell to his followers. And the Bible says that resurrected body started going up, up, up into the clouds. Most of you know that. But do you know this? What happened to Jesus five minutes after he went through the clouds? Do you know? Bible's very clear. Psalm 110, Hebrews 1, many other places. When Jesus ascended from the earth, he walked back into heaven he approached his father in heaven and when he approached his father the bible says his father stood up and said son be enthroned at my right hand i will make an, your enemies a footstool for your feet psalm 110 verse 2 i will put the scepter of all authority in your hand from that moment until this morning what jesus has been doing is he has been reigning over the universe king of kings and lord of lords that is who he is. I was late figuring this out in my life, and I'm so ashamed of that. I wish I had known this all of my life, but I'm trying to catch up. This morning in room 329 at the hotel you put me in, about 4 o'clock this morning, I was praying for you guys, but I was also trying my best to look across that hotel room to see an elevated throne and Christ seated on that throne because I wanted to speak to him as he actually is. If I'm the king of the universe and I look down and there's little bitty Richard Ross and he's approaching me, 
And I love that boy. He, he belongs to me. And so I want to hear what my, my boy said. If I'm Jesus, and I shush the music of heaven temporarily, and I'm going to let Richard Ross speak to me, what's the first word out of my mouth? Well, it's not, oh, Jesus, I have so many troubles today. Can you? No. About all you can get out of your mouth initially is holy, 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 because he's the king of the universe. If you're a senior adult, if you're middle-aged, if you're in grade school, I want to ask you a question. This morning, in your own private worship, before you came to church this morning, in your prayer, did you have any sense in your mind's eye, I am speaking to royalty? Or would you say, I didn't even have any worship this morning beyond saying grace over my cereal? Have you grasped who Jesus actually is today? Would you say, I am sitting here having been in church a long, long time, but I probably need an awakening in my heart to the greatness of Jesus. He is the king. Now, Hillcrest does believe in the second coming. I know you do. And most of you are looking at what's going on out there and you're thinking that second coming could be sooner rather than later the way things are going. Okay, what if it happens in your lifetime and you're out in your front yard and you look up because of the trumpet blast and you see Jesus split open the heavens and descend to earth. You see it. Do you think in that moment he will be great and glorious? Well, of course you do. You've always believed that. Watch who I was speaking to in my hotel room this morning is precisely the Jesus as he will return to earth. He doesn't turn into something. He probably just stands up from the throne, takes one step over and drops to earth. That is who he is. Do you approach him that way in your prayers? Listen to this. Jesus does not exist for you you exist for him. Jesus doesn't exist primarily to make your little deals all better. He exists for his great glory. Before any of us can parent our grandparent the way we need to, we have to begin with a heart that is alive to Christ. My second challenge is closely related. Be transparent about Jesus at home. Be transparent about him at home. Mom and dad, especially, I do think we can be so private, so guarded, that Jesus could do something new in our lives. And if we're too quiet about it, the kids would never know it. I'm asking you to be a little bit open about whatever it is that is going on in your life. Dad, if I could just borrow you, Dad, as an example. Dad, let's just say you, you're follow, falling more in love with Jesus, and because of that, prayer is more important to you, Scripture more. And so maybe you're up a little bit earlier in the morning because you want to have time with Jesus before the family gets going. And so, Dad, on a given morning, you're in your Barca lounger, and you're reading your Bible, and you're going along, and you go, Oh, well, oh man, that's good. That's a good verse. Never noticed that. That is really good. Oh, what do you do about that? Well, you take your Bible to breakfast and finally your sleepy-headed daughter walks in and you say, hey, sweetie, come here, come here, lean over my shoulder. I was reading my Bible this morning. This is really good. Come here, come here. All right. Every Sunday, 
The teenagers leave this service and they go to Bible study. Everybody happy about that? I'm very happy about that. But you know what I believe? I think that high school girl leaning over her dad's shoulder, reading the Bible with him, I think that little scenario right there, I think that's probably worth about 10 Sunday morning Bible studies. You know why? That's the most important man in her life. She just got a reminder, my dad's up worshiping every morning. My dad loves Jesus. He loves God's work. When that girl is 35 or 40, the way she's parenting her kids, her life up at her church, all of that is going to be shaped by moments just like that. Be transparent about whatever is going on in your heart related to Jesus. Third and finally, partner with your church to see your kids look like Jesus. Partner with your church. Now you heard me say at the outset, you cannot outsource spiritual development to the church. You can outsource a lot of other things. If you don't know how to play soccer, you can grab somebody that is good and they can tutor your kids. And if they're bad in some school subject, you can outsource that. But spiritual development, you can't outsource it. Mom and dad, you always will be the most important variable here. But having said that, you can be very grateful for a church that would come alongside you and support you in the process of spiritually leading your own family. Did you know a, a change in your mentality can influence how you listen to announcements? Did you know that? Six months from now, your heart alive for Jesus and you're listening to announcements and, and, and somebody says something, oh, we're going to do this thing for families. It's going to be wonderful. Bring the family spiritually. It's just going to be wonderful. And you're thinking, okay, that goes in my phone for sure. And while you're putting it in your phone, you kind of chuckle to yourself and you say, you know, a few months ago, I never paid attention to stuff like that but I do now. Now I'm thankful for anything our church is going to do to help me spiritually lead my own kids. It changes how you listen to announcements. And it changes decisions you make at home. I'm just going to make this up. Let me just make up a little speech. Let me just make this up. Coach, I appreciate you more than I can say. Coach, I'm just talking to you man to man here. I want to say to you, I appreciate you. I've been watching you. You've taken an interest in my son. You've stayed late with him a couple of times. You've opened some doors for my son. Coach, I can't tell you what that means to me as a dad. And, and I think you're, you're trying to instruct me here in a good way. What you're explaining to me is that these days, those college scouts are more likely to see a traveling team than a school team. Coach, it could be that if my son's out on a traveling team, we have a little better chance for a scout. Coach, I appreciate knowing that. And the fact that you would give my son a spot on a team, that just means everything to me. But coach, you're telling me that with this particular league, with this particular league, the boys are going to be out six Sunday mornings in a row. Coach, that's a lot of Bible study. That's a lot of worship. You see, not only am I trying to create a blue chipper, I'm trying to create a young man that's got a heart for God. Coach, we just can't be missing six Sunday. I got to say no this time, but you and I will watch for some other opportunities that will work well for my son. Anybody think that's easy to say? No. Our kids, their activities, their accomplishments, it's huge. All of you know that. I'm a dad. I know that. But at the bottom of the funnel, what you always have to ask is, am I keeping the main thing the main thing? You see, the payoff may not come for 15 years. 
when your now adult children are sitting around your Thanksgiving table and that now adult son turns to you and says, hey dad, you made some calls when I was growing up that I wasn't crazy about, but now I got a different perspective. Dad, look at me and my family. Look how active we are up at our church. Look at what's going on in our home. Dad, I got to give you a lot of the credit. You know, you always kept the main thing, the main thing. When John said I'd been a youth leader all my life, you probably thought to yourself, well, that's nice. And the man's probably got a house full of his own kids. Well, we would have liked that, but it didn't work out. I'll save you the sad stories. Suffice it to say, we only have one living child, and his name is Clayton. And you won't believe this, we were married 16 years before Clayton was conceived. In fact, the doctors had told us at that point, forget it, it's not going to happen. So his birth, I guess you would say, was a miracle. Since we had to wait 16 years, he's relatively a young man even today. Now, he's been sick recently, but before he got sick, especially during college, anytime people got up a group, let's go to some other country and talk about Jesus. If somebody was getting up a group, my son would just jump on the plane. Now, he's not a preacher or an official missionary. He's nothing like that. He's just a guy that loves the Lord, but he enjoyed going with groups to places to talk about Christ. But his preference, for some crazy reason, was to go to those places where they tend to cut your head off if you talk about the Lord. More than once I was out at DFW Airport looking down those concourses just to make sure my son got on that flight safely and was coming home to me. Now he has been sick, he is getting better, so I'm coming right up to the moment that that young man's gonna walk in my room and say, hey dad, there's a group getting up to go to wherever, and he's gonna go, it's gonna happen. Now, just for illustration, Perish the thought, what if the next trip my son goes on, he comes home in a box? Pastor Tom mentions on a Sunday morning, some of you were here when the tall professor came talking about his son. We, we had quite a, a tragedy in the Middle East. Uh, service will be uh, up in Fort Worth, blah, blah, blah. And you just have a crazy thought. You've been thinking, you know, my, my business, you know, we, we, I, I need to get up to Fort Worth anyway. I'm, I, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go up to Fort Worth and I'm going to take care of my business, but I'm going to time that so that I can slip in for that funeral. And so you come to Wedgwood Baptist Church on a Wednesday morning. You'd probably sit, I guess, in the back. I guess they would put me about right here. If, if you're looking at me during the service, let me, let me just go ahead and tell you. I'm going to be crying like a schoolgirl because I am so close to my son. I guess the fact that we waited so long is part of that. When he comes on my campus, he'll walk halfway across the campus just to pick me up with a bear hug. We are close. So if I'm not going to see him on this earth, I'm going to be pretty sad about that. But at the close of the service, if you come out in our circular driveway and you catch me before they put me in a black car, you might say, Brother Ross, you, you came down to Hillcrest. Actually, I didn't meet you that morning, but I... I don't know, I just felt a connection with your message. I, doesn't matter, here I am. I, I gotta ask you a quick question before you get in the car. How, how do you really feel about the fact that now you'll never have a grandchild in your lap? 
How do you feel about the fact that now, Christmas Eve, you'll hand your wife one present, she'll hand you one present, and you'll both go to bed, and that's how it'll be the rest of your life? How, how do you really feel about the fact that eventually you will die in hospice alone, no children by your side? You know, I don't think I can tell you this morning how I would answer your questions. But I can tell you this morning how I hope I would answer your questions. What I hope I would say is, it is well with my soul. Do you know why I would want to say that? Because Clayton Allen Ross is on planet Earth for the glory of God. That is what he is doing down here. That is why he exists. Therefore, if the king should decree in this particular instance, I would be glorified by the death of a martyr planting the church in a new place. If that's the will of the king, how can dad say anything different from it is well with my soul? Now this morning... Clayton and Richard are not really the issue this morning. The issue is each one of these young people and their families. The issue is every young person, every child of this church is on planet Earth for the glory of God. That is why they even exist. Therefore, there is no part of parenting that is more important than parenting in those specific ways where you are making it most likely that your sons and your daughters will live their entire adult lives for the glory of God. Would you just bow your heads? Just bow your heads. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of commitment. Mom and dad, y'all are bright people. You're bright. And you're bright enough to see exactly the issue that I'm leaving you with. It is almost as if there is a fork in the road right in front of you. One fork of that is we go back home and we stay the course. We basically just keep doing what we've been doing. Yeah, we keep our nose clean. We come to church when we can, but we just pretty well rock along. The other fork is, I'm going home with some pretty big changes. I'm going home having told Jesus, He is going to be supreme in our house. With my mouth, I'm going to talk about Jesus and my love for Him. Every child in my home is going to know that I love Him above anything. And my kids are going to watch me make decisions always underneath the authority and direction of Jesus, always reflecting His priorities. I am going home to be the most important spiritual leader to my own children. God bless this church if they can help, but I am going home to take the lead. It's a fork in the road. After the last song, you're going to be thinking about other things. This won't be on your mind. I'm asking you right now, what are you going to do about a fork in the road? Stay the course. Keep rocking along and probably watch your children walk away from the faith in young adulthood or go home to say, we are going to be a family that exalts King Jesus. Lord Jesus, I pray that months from now, the pastors of this church would detect within families a new zeal for you. 
They would be able to detect parents that are making decisions, adjusting calendars, just making Jesus the center of everything. Lord Jesus, I'm praying for grade schoolers and teenagers that walk into these doors with their eyes dancing because things are different at home for the glory of God. To this end, I pray for your name and for your eternal glory. Amen and amen. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Tom Goodman shares a message titled, What Happens When Jesus Shows Up? I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.